This is Creator Talks Episode 3, Best of 2016, Part 3. Welcome back to Creator Talks. I am your host, Christopher Calloway, here with part three of the best of 2016. In this episode, we're going to talk to Steve Rude. Now, Steve is the co-creator of the character Nexus. This is a creator-owned property that he invented along with Mike Barron back in the early 1980s. Now, Steve is a fabulous artist. He's also an oil painter. Uh, he has won the Russ Banning Award, the Kirby Award, the Eisner Award, and the Harvey Award. Steve and I talk about his early days trying to break into the business. We talk about his latest project, the Nexus newspaper, that was funded through a Kickstarter. And Steve has worked on many other projects from many other publishers. Uh, some of the ones I can recall that I read myself was Captain America, What Price Glory. That was a four-part miniseries from Marvel Comics back in 2003. Gorgeous art of uh, Captain America for Marvel. Looks very much like a Silver Age comic, but with that new modern flair to it. Another comic he worked on uh, back in the early 2000s was uh, one of the issues of the world's greatest comic magazine, number 12, and this was an untold Fantastic Four story, and each issue was drawn by different artists. Uh, this was the brainchild of Eric Larson, and uh, Steve's uh, issue, number 12, is a masterpiece to behold in and of itself. Another great book that he worked on was a prestige format comic book, The Incredible Hulk vs. Superman, number one, back in 1999. I have a copy of that, and that is delightful. Just an absolutely fantastic issue. That is something I'd urge you to check out. Uh, more recently, he worked on a one-shot one of the before Watchmen books, Dollar Bill Number One, and that was a very good book. Uh, I know that whole series before Watchmen didn't go over really well with the fans. Lots of copies were published. I don't think it really sold fantastically, but that one issue I did pick up just because of the art of Steve Root, and it is really great, as always with Steve's work. Um, and he also more recently worked on The Adventures of Superman, the classic Superman, Volume 2, Number 17, Adventures of Superman. Steve Root did the art on that issue, and it is also, I, I mean, beyond words, it's great. So in this interview, we talk about his early days getting into comic books. We talk about the Nexus newspaper and how that all started, and we even get into some other topics as well that Steve has never talked about before. So uh, here's my interview with Steve Root. Enjoy. Would you share with us the early years of learning your craft? How did you pick up these fantastic art skills? Were you, did you have a mentor? Uh, you're all self-taught. Uh, how did you hone your craft? Uh, I think I think the best way to answer that um, is well. First of all, I have to go back in time and remember, which is not hard. I, it's not hard for me to go back in time. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say the number one thing, Chris, that I had that separated me from other people as I've learned over the years and, and began to teach other people over the years is you have to have an incredible, um, need to succeed. So if you have that, it can take you places where people that don't have that ability will never go. Mm -hmm. You got to have the drive. You have to have an incredible drive. And the way I put it was not to be great, but just not to be average. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if you have that, then everything is fueled from that 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 uh, that that mecca point, where you you will seek out anybody, any book, any person that can help you uh, learn what you need to learn, so that you're not average anymore. It all springs from there. You know that um, I read a story once where you managed to get an interview with Jim Shooter through Paul Galassi. Um and I heard you were very tenacious trying to get that position at uh, Marvel Comics to get some work for them. Could you? Tell me about that day. What happened? You're yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Let me think. Uh, I, I think this was when uh, Paul was living in West New York, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, this was the first time that I went to New York to try to break into comics. And I, uh, I would traditionally stop at, at uh, Marvel, of course. That's where I wanted to work because all my heroes had worked there. Mm-hmm. And then I would go from from there if if I got rejected, which I always was. And then I would go to TC, and then I would go to Heavy Metal because um, you know those were the outlets back then. Yeah. yeah. And eventually, I would end up hopefully at uh, at Neil Adams 
continuity studio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was there to get advice. If I wasn't going to get work, uh, I was going to, I was going to get crit- critiques. That's the way we were all trained in art school to go out, seek uh, great artists and have them tell you what you should work on. And uh, the day I was in with Shooter, I remember he hauled out the issue of a Captain America Human Torch reprint from the early 60s. And he was showing me all the fundamental stuff that Kirby did that was important for beginners to learn or people that were trying to learn things that may have been relying on, you know, more things that were fanciful than, than coherent basics. Okay. And I, I remember he was very helpful uh, in, in explaining that to me. He seemed, he seemed to take an inordinate interest in at least explaining uh, what was so special about this particular comic. And I, I, I know that over the years he's talked to other people using that same comic as an example. So I assume he must have had it around his office in the event that people would drop by, which they were all the time, uh, trying to break into the field. And it was, it was, it was great. It was great. I still remember things he told me, you know, basically just going to go back to basics and stop tricks. Mm-hmm. And then when you learn basics, then you can, you, then you can possibly learn to exploit the tricks a little bit. Yeah. That was a strange tales, uh, issue, I believe. Uh, with, I think it was, yeah. The, the first time they brought Cap back, but it was the acrobat. It wasn't really Cap, but it was, that's one of the examples he does usually pull out when he's, he's trying to explain how to do a basic storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. No wonder he had he had it down for so well. Yeah. Now, after Marvel, you, you attempted there. Did you go to CDC or the continuity offices where Neil Adams was working? I went after that. I would go to DC, and I remember uh, talking to Julie Schwartz in the very early days. And uh, I don't remember what, much of what happened in, at that meeting, and I don't recall why. I don't recall what happened too much. It just said it was kind of a non-event. Mm-hmm. and I wasn't ready to get in, and I have no objection to being turned down. To me, uh, being turned down, it, you know, it goes back to that, that thing that got me wanting to be a comic book artist in the first place, which is <clears throat> I didn't want to fail. I, want, I had to keep going until I at least uh, got the answers that I was looking for, and, of course, the answers keep being asked no matter where you are in life, uh, answers of... Uh, uh, how do I improve? You know, what's next? What do I really want to do with my life? And to me, the answer was always related to uh, the field of comic books and storytelling. And then Neil Adams, I, I think I think I saw him on the second. Yeah, that was when Nexus Black and White Number Three came out, the big oversized magazine with a record in it. And I brought that up to Neil, and he was immensely helpful. He sat down, um, like I do with kids nowadays and I, I help them go through things that they need to know and I, I find the exercise fascinating to always try to instill in people uh, breakthrough moments where they can look at something, see, what's, see what their work could have been and then maybe, uh, maybe be able to uh, transfer that into the next page that they try and it's a lot of fun and that's what Neil was doing with me. He was mm-hmm. pointing out things that I needed to work on, and he was very kind and very helpful about it, very constructive. And it wasn't long after that. Uh, I mean, it probably seemed like a long time, but it probably wasn't that long after that that you started with Nexus in 1981. Uh, you want it was it, now was it because of the direct market at that time? Uh, was it seem like the right time to get into doing your own comic? Well, things fell together in a way that that life provides us all. Uh, with a, a a sense of timing that is beyond, first of all, it's beyond anyone, anyone's comprehension <clears throat> exactly how it works, why it comes about when it does, it, but it does. <clears throat> and it comes that way for a lot of people um, in their lifetimes. We call that luck or dumb luck. And uh, I was, uh, Mike Barron was really instrumental behind all that taking place. He was mm-hmm. He was hustling all the time to try to get us uh, as a team, because he didn't know any other artists, he just knew me. And I, he was the only writer that I knew, so uh, he was always bugging these two guys at this um, at this distribution house uh, in in Madison, in Madison, Wisconsin, and that was the guys that eventually ended up publishing Nexus. 
and he just he kept hammering away at these guys, and they finally agreed to look at something. In the meantime, there's other things afoot, and one of them was there was a a a, a comic book that came out. It was oversized, and it 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 uh, it appeared on the stands in the in the form of something called the Justice Machine. And I remember seeing that and thinking, "Wow, well, this is something else. This is this." This is something that was published uh, by guys, I think, in the Midwest. And look at that. They got a John Byrne cover. And I looked at that with, with fascination. And I, I, that's why I, I kind of trace back these occurrences to something in the air. And it happened, um, as things often do, Chris, at the beginning of a new decade. It's if, as if that kind of, for some reason, signals things to shed what they were and, and assume a new form that things are going to take as a new decade gets, gets started off. And that was, uh, I remember seeing the justice, justice machine. And that was, I'm sure that the guys from Capital city comics distribution saw that magazine and it gave them an idea of what, what was possible to do. And that's the amazing thing about, about people that, um, that start something there's always someone who's going to pick up on it and want to be a part of it as well. And I think that's a really important thing to take note of about uh, life and, and certainly things that, that are in the back of my head when I do things like the Nexus newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can start this, if I can get people excited, then who knows where that will take us. That might even kind of signal an entire renaissance in the field of returning uh, comics, the Sunday newspaper, the comic adventure strips, uh, which are no longer there, right? For the most part, not, and they're certainly not creator-owned. Now, DC attempted that uh, oh, a couple of years ago. They tried to do it like Wednesday comics. They tried to do it in a print format. Do you recall those? Well, I recall it because that was actually that was actually like we're going back to like things that took place in the eighty that kind of spawned the idea of, of doing an independent comic book out of Madison, mm-hmm. which, which turned into Nexus. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Mark Chiarello, the, the editor of that Wednesday Comics, came up to me at some point in, in the 2000s and, and uh, asked me if I wanted to be part of this idea that he had. And that was the, the idea was Wednesday Comics. Mm-hmm. And I immediately took to the idea. I thought it was... I said, now this is original. This is really original thinking. I love it. And imagine doing a full-page comic strip like we all saw back in the, uh, when we were barely growing up. <laughs> um, we were just little kids when that stuff came out. Uh, but that's, it, it, was, it was something that was in every Sunday newspaper at that time in the, in the late 50s. And, and the, um, you know, I grew up in the 60s. But... Uh, mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those that grew up earlier than myself, you know, that's something they would have seen every week. And it would have been this, uh, this thing that they just, uh, were chomping at the bit to wait to see what happened next in the next installment of these adventure strips that were drawn so realistically. And I, you know, I, when, when Mark, Mark Chitterell brought this idea up to me, um, the idea the Wednesday comics idea, because it was, it was, it was. It had a foundation. It had a shaky foundation to begin with. In other words, if it didn't sell, if if, uh, if the big bosses ever decided that it suddenly um, wasn't something they wanted to keep doing, it would get canned. And the only thing that stopped and say someone like me from being canned is is uh, financial financial support. Now. After you started doing Nexus, we're going back to the 80s. It wasn't, I mean, by 1984, you had won the Russ Manning Promise Newcomer Award. And by 1986, you won the Kirby Award. And very quickly for an up-and-coming artist. Um, now, your style, for those not familiar with it, is sort of a mix of Russ Manning, Jack Kirby, and Alex Toth. Uh, were those your biggest influences growing up? Did you read their comics, look at some of their work? Well, yes. Uh, uh, you know what? It, the if I had to trace everything back to a single person, it was it would always be Jack Kirby, okay. hands down. Mm-hmm. Not, not, nothing that would ever come, even come close to that. Uh, uh, the only thing that did was 
it was most of the comics that came out from Marvel in the in the mid '60s, like Spider Man and uh, and Iron Man. But Kirby's art was something that uh, even even to someone who's uh, ten years old, you'd look at it and you'd say, "Whoa! Now this is something different here. This is this is powerful. This is fantastic stuff." And it when it when you when something like that grabs the kids imagination it doesn't let go especially someone as as potent as jack kirby so uh kirby was the man for all of us yeah i mean his work definitely stood out for me um i i loved marvel comics growing up uh but to get a, a kirby comic you know one with his art on the cover and on the interior was the greatest thing um yeah that and it always stood out from the pack now now with nexus uh you did a series for Dark Horse, um, where they published your, I should say, they published your work, uh, Into the Past, Nexus Into the Past, in their Dark Horse Comics Presents anthology series between 2011 and 2014. And at the end of Into the Past, it seemed like you were finished with Nexus at that point. Like you were, that was it. You were finished telling the stories you wanted to tell. And then when the trade paperback came out, it said there that the newspaper strip was in the works. So what changed your mind in just like a year's time that, hey, I'm not finished with Nexus yet. There's more things I want to do. There's more stories I want to tell. Yeah, very simply, me and Baron were having tremendous disagreements about uh, story direction. And, um, and based on the fact that it was so difficult to get through this stuff without having arguments, uh, I just decided this is just not worth it here. His writing has changed so much. I don't even recognize it for what it used to be. Um, and I can't work without Baron. I don't want to. And yet at the same time, I also knew that, uh, as I've known for a long time now, Chris, is that I had literally, uh, I, I would say, I don't know, I, I don't want to say a number, but I would say, but year-wise, I would say I have 15 more years to go on this on this strip of Nexus, mm. of stories that... that would, I would love to be part of telling, but with with uh, with the impediment of the disagreements going on, I just didn't know what to do. And uh, uh, Baron and I remain close in spite of all of this right here. Uh, we have a very honest relationship, and even when the, you know the, the various things came up uh, that impeded that, uh, we always know where our loyalties lie and. I, I always hold him in the highest regard. Baron is the guy that started Nexus. He's the one that conceived all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I just happened to be the only artist he knew back in Madison that was good enough to at least take this stuff on and try to do it good. Uh, even in the amateur status that I was back then. Uh, but no, the disagreements led to me thinking, well, this is, this is it. I, I don't want to work under these conditions anymore. And uh, at some point, when when the the the, uh, the dust settled, Baron came up to me in in Portland uh, at a Portland show, Chris, and said, "Do you want to do another story?" And of course, I always wanted to do another story. I just didn't want to have script dis disagreements. And he, I said, "Well, look, you know, uh, you come up with a story, and I, if I like it, I'll do it." So he came up with a German of an idea. He said he would have it ready for the next day, and then Baron always being the man of, the, of his word that he is. He did. Uh, so we met for breakfast, and he had a great idea. And that led to the newspaper strip, because when he originally came up to me and wanted to do Nexus again, he said, well, let's do it for, uh, for Dark Horse again. I said, there's no way I'm going to do it for Dark Horse again. Uh, we really need to get to do something with the strip to shake things up again. And I'm at that time I was planning on doing going right into the moth is a newspaper strip. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do newspaper strips, something different, something to shake people up again. And uh, when Baron came up with that idea that he, he presented to me at breakfast that day, I thought, well, I don't know if the moth is going to attract enough people for me to make a living off this, this newspaper idea. Why don't we lead off with Nexus and see what happens? So that's kind of where everything took us from that point. Okay. Okay, so you, I mean, you didn't want to go back to Dark Horse because you didn't want to print again in a, a standard comic book type format. You want to do something different to really get people's attention. Yeah, we, because we were getting so little feedback. And, mm -hmm. you know, artists, you know, writers 
really need and want feedback on what they do, like the old days when we get in hundreds of letters about something. Right. Now we were getting practically nothing in, and that really bothered me. Um, I do these things for an audience to get feedback on how we're doing, and we weren't getting any feedback from 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 the audience we used to have. So I realized uh, just on, on the most basic of levels, I need to do something here to shake things up. So that's the newspaper idea was something I was I was utterly determined to try to make happen, Chris. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I mean, I'm surprised that you weren't getting any feedback. I'm wondering if that's just, is it because people weren't writing uh, any kind of feedback, that they're more used to using social media for speaking their mind? Um, do you think it has to do with just how people communicate now versus the, the work itself? Well, I don't really use social media, but I'm, I'm sure that's the, that's the, the culprit is this whole switch that took place when uh, when the internet mm-hmm. began intruding into our lives. Um, and I remember thinking at the time I was conceiving the newspaper idea, I thought, well, you know, this whole online thing is, is something that I don't understand, but I, if, peop- if that's where the people are, and, <clears throat> and that's where a potential new audience is, well, I better look into this. Because that may create an entire new audience for us. Yeah, that's something I, I miss in a lot of the comics. I mean, there is social media. You can go online. You can see people's feedback. But you don't see the letter pages anymore. Um, and it, it takes a little more thought and research sometimes to write a letter. Um, it takes a little more effort. And it's a little easier just to pop out a quick you know tweet or something on Facebook, which I have nothing wrong with that. I use it myself. But uh, I just don't see those letters anymore. There's, a, there's only a few publications out there where I see a letter page. And it is really nice to see letters in the back of the book, you know, seeing what people think about it. Because not everybody is on social media. A lot of people are, but not everyone. And uh, it is good to see the letter pages in the back. I, and I, to me, it also adds a little something more to the book, you know, a little more, um, little more content in there besides the story, some feedback that everyone can see at the same time in the book. Yeah, well, I tell you, those that never grew up receiving letters or packages in the mail will never quite know <laughs> the joy of, yeah. of of that era, and um, um, and it's it's a shame because it's it's clear to me this with my my uh, peripheral observation on the world right now that it becomes less what 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 they're doing right now with with uh, the Facebook and all that stuff. It's it's kind of once removed from uh, being a having a personal touch to it where you really have to make an effort to actually put a stamp on an envelope and send it off. Um, things get easier. The, the easier things get, I think something, something happens to, uh, people in, in, uh, in, uh, I think they get lazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, you are once removed from the person and there's a certain sense of anonymity there too when you're using social media. Um, like I was just at Baltimore the other week and it's always really great to sit there and talk to a creator. And they're, they're very eager to speak to people and see them face to face and get feedback, that kind of feedback that you're so hungry for. Like what do you think? What do you like about this? What do you not like about this? And I'm, you're going to uh, Buffalo soon. And I'm sure that's you yeah. know one of the great benefits is actually get the chance to meet the people that you might have seen send letters or say something on social media. But I mean, there's there's no replacing that, uh, and I think that's so important nowadays to get out there. Um, it, it, creators are doing it; they they're making the time. They're very busy, but they they know they have to be out there to meet their their public, and the public really should take the time to at least go to one or two cons, even if you can only go for a day. It's well worth it just to get a chance to meet with people and speak with them and speak with creators. Well, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, I think the, the thing that always draws me to conventions. You know, uh, one of the sad things they always bring up to me, the people that invite me to these shows, Chris, is, well, I don't want to intrude on your money-making time and invite you to a panel if you don't, if it's going to take away from that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know. And I say, geez, what makes you think I'm, I'm there to make money? Uh, I don't know if it's, that's what, I don't know if that's what they understand it to be nowadays, but I, you know, that's the last thing I'm there for. I don't need to make the money. What I want to do is meet people and, and exchange ideas and talk. Yeah, it's hard to put a price on that. I mean, it's 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 not about the money at that point, but it's it's the foundation that you need to continue doing your work. 
it helps to fuel that uh, passion, desire to keep working. You, you have to have that contact. It's like comedians that like to perform in public. They get immediate feedback about their joke. If they're doing something filmed or taped, they don't get that feedback for – it could be a year before a film or a show gets released. So they don't know. Yeah, and that is, that is certainly the reason that I've heard over the years, Chris, why actors so covet stage work mm-hmm. rather than film. And I used to live in LA, LA and I saw, I saw movies being filmed, and they, it's got to be one of the most boring procedures I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Television at least has some speed to it, especially if you're in soap operas where you have to memorize mm-hmm. uh, an entire script in a, in a couple of days. But um, no, I, I, you're hitting on something that I, I haven't really given much thought because I never had a context to really think about it in. But uh, that that feedback between the the artist, the performer, and the people that they're performing for is more critical than any that I ever could have known, even. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to work in a vacuum. You've got to have. I mean, we're all we're all drawing from something. Whatever, whenever, whenever we're creating, we're standing on the shoulders that went, those of us that went before, and we're we're getting synergy and energy from other artists and creators. I mean, in fact, some of the artists I spoke to in Baltimore recently, they love to go to meet other artists and talk, and it's kind of a support group, but they also kind of feed off of each other's ideas, and it helps them to grow as as artists. That was one of the great great benefits of San Diego, in particular, Chris. Because when we when we all congregated in in, in San Diego, there was always these uh, these uh, get-togethers uh, at at usually at the bars, mm-hmm. away from the table, where we could focus on each other and and get into that idea exchange that you're referring to, and that was invaluable for everyone. And I I of course live off uh, <clears throat> strong, honest feedback about things, and. Uh, uh, I notice when I when I when I when I call people up, say I just cold call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they never know what to make of my phone calls because I never want to talk about the weather. <laughs> yeah, I want to get into ideas and, and heavy heavy concepts about what what uh, uh, I don't know how to elevate the uh, the sphere of entertainment to a huge level, like the, like the great things I grew up on and, and ended, up, ended up being so influenced by over the years and now decades that are still with me as strong as they ever were since mm-hmm. I saw them for the first time on TV. Now, I just got recently Nexus, the comic strip, uh, Volume 7. Uh, that's where, as we're having this conversation now, that's... Oh, good, good, excellent, yeah. That, that just good. came out, and uh, I read that you made some changes to how you were getting feedback to your colorist, uh, Steve, is it Leg, is that right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. And right. it's, it's kind of to help improve communication, smooth the production process. So can you talk a bit more about how you made changes to that process of the coloring? Because you're doing some of the coloring yourself, and then Steve's also working on the coloring. So you're trying to communicate to Steve your your idea, your concept of the coloring to make sure it comes up just the way you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I get immense satisfaction out of, out of controlling every element that I have a strong idea about, and that's pretty much everything. Uh, you know, we're just talking about, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a weekly TV show. We're talking about something that can be done in a lot less time with a lot less people. Uh, and all, but I, to get to your point, the, the art of communication has always been one of great fascination to me. Because if you can communicate with people, then you can work in a way that is, uh, that is, that is, um, where the miscommunications are lessened to the point where there may not be any at, at some point. Mm-hmm. And you're just making yourself extremely clear. So uh, <clears throat> miscommunication uh, is resp- bad, mis- bad communication is responsible for so many ills of the world that never should have happened <clears throat> had you known how to communicate better in the first place. And being aware of that like I am, Chris, it's become a paramount thing for me to learn the art of more succinctly so that there are no miscommunications. There's only good, good, I get it moments with two people trying to figure something out. So with, um, besides Nexus, I saw just the other month that, uh, you were working on DC's future quest issue three, doing, uh, one of my favorite characters, Birdman. Um, I take it that's one of your favorites too, because that's the character that you focused on for that issue. Are you going to be doing more work for DC uh, more work for hire to help them out with a uh, future quest? Um, I, I, I don't know because, uh, that's, that's something 
that I, I don't have any real say over. It's, it's that, that kind of uh, thing is always dependent on an editor calling you up and saying, do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And that's why I've always liked being in charge of much more of my life and career than just waiting for a call from an editor. That may come tomorrow, that may come in five years. So not being one to be content to wait around for someone else's permission to do what I know I have to do, I just, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a self-starter. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, the greatest story of my life comes in with doing, like at the moment, this Nexus newspaper. So I feel like I'm doing something that no one else is, and I'm also excited to think that I might start something in the world just the way something did for Nexus back in 1981, a new way of <clears throat> something that's, that's, that's old and bringing it into the present day. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the amazing things about your artwork that I love so much and the stories as well is it has that classic feel to it of a of a Jack Kirby, of a, of a Toth, of a Russ Manning, but it's got that fresh, new, modern language and storytelling to it. So you get all the benefits of that great Silver Age art, yet it's uniquely yours and it's told in a new and interesting way. And that's I, I just can't get enough of that. I think a lot of fans can't get enough of that. Um, and... I mean, you don't do a tremendous amount of work for hire. I mean, I kind of put you up there with like Storenko, who did some fascinating work, but he didn't do a lot. You've done much more than Storenko has done. I mean, I remember there was the Hulk versus Superman back in 99. You did a Captain America story. That was fantastic. Um, so we just don't see enough of it. So seeing Nexus come out every month is a real treat. Uh, I, I think more people need to be made aware of it. Um, and uh, you also do some gorgeous paintings I've seen on your website. Uh, tell me a bit about your painting work. It's incredible. Oh, thank you. My, my, my painting work is, is a result of wanting to be uh, an illustrator. And I wanted to be an illustrator um, that, um, that might come close to the heroes that wanted to, that uh, maybe want to become an illustrator in the first place. And my heroes are the best. Uh, Sun Bloom and Loomis and Harry Anderson and John Gannon and dozens and dozens of other guys from uh, the war years, basically. That's when they were all the most prominent in Rockwell, of course. And I just, I had, my ambitions were simply, they couldn't be contained in, in wanting to be content as a black and white artist for comic books. That's mostly the need I have as, an, as a creator to do is to tell stories and to draw fantastic figures and fantastic worlds. But um, the, the draw of learning the skills of an illustrator were, were something that I had instilled in me, instilled in me from a, a very early time. And I, I just look, when you look, it's, it comes, it, I think it comes down to this, Chris. You look at, when I was in the fifth grade, I was in the library and I saw the Loomis books, mm-hmm. the How to Do Loomis books. And when I saw those, I thought, wow, and that's pretty much the way it kind of stood until I until I realized I wanted to make art of my life, uh, and I wanted to know if I could be as good as those those guys that made me say wow. And you know, I noticed too that guys like Neil Adams and Tom Palmer. I knew they were great artists, but they also color their work. They also and I, Tom Palmer does uh, paintings, and I was I didn't I didn't realize that. So I see that. Really excellent artists are just as adept at not just the black and white line drawing, but also the painting, the coloring. They're very well rounded. Um, they, I find that it helps their their art skills in both black and white and in color. They're, it it kind of helps overall with their skills. That's right. I and you know my personal ambitions extended beyond what apparently most guys that get into comic books wanted out of life. I really wanted to see if I could have the skills of those guys that impressed me so much with their paintings, their full-color paintings. To me, that's the ultimate um, ending point of, of what an artist could be, is someone that had the skills of an illustrator, uh, to be able to paint environments and people in them with, with, with perfect uh, realism. I just thought that was the greatest thing, and I, I simply wanted to see if I could be if I could be like those guys. 
And is there anything else you want to say to our listeners about Nexus? I mean, I, I mean, they can get it on Comicology digitally, and that's that's really cool, and it's instant gratification. But I think they're really missing out if they don't see the gorgeous large printing of this. It's almost like getting one of those artist editions from IDW, but it's, I think it's even bigger and in color. Um, but it is possible to get on board now, even though the Kickstarter's over, and it is possible to get back issues, yes? It's possible to get, to get all those things. The Kickstarter was just basically a way to kick things off. But uh, the process of creating the newspaper and trying to get more subscribers goes on uh, forever. Uh, and when it stops, you don't have a newspaper anymore because we either ran out of money or, uh, well, it's, it's, all, it's all financial related, whether it, it keeps going or not. So <clears throat> we do have to get the word out. And, and for people that have never known what it's like, Chris, to have something come in your mailbox like the way it used to be, um, you, need to, you need to, if you've never experienced that in your life, um, I would envy those that are brave enough to give it a shot. And to find out what it's like to have expectations of something coming in your mailbox that you're that you're really excited about and can't wait to open up, just like kids back in the 1940s and 30s and 20s who waited who waited to see what was going to happen on the cliffhangers of their their favorite strips in the Sunday newspaper for 50 years. And, and some of your subscription boxes, I mean, they're actually a box. You have other items in there besides the strip, too. You have prints, um, drawstring backpacks. You have all kinds of – it's like a uh, like one of those uh, boxes you can get online where they have all these cool things in there. Um, but it's, it's more – you can get more than just the newspaper itself. Yeah, and that's, that's mostly in the realm of Janelle trying to drum up as much financial support for this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply for the cause of keeping that cause going so that we can we can keep keep doing it because we haven't been kicked out of our houses. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Everything yeah. comes down to that. Um, I don't know a single thing on, the, on this earth that has basically not come down to some something related to profit. And that's a shame because, um, uh, but it's not going to change. <laughs> this is our society. Um, yep. I'm very happy the way it is in it. Uh, but we, um, you know, our, there's, there's two things that go on at the root house. One is producing the strip and the other is trying to support the strip. Well, it's, you know, it's certainly something that people should check out because, uh, I've had people ask me, um, you know, how do we get people if they're buying something digitally to also buy the print? Like, like local magazines and such. And I'm like, well, here's a perfect example of something that you cannot replicate digitally. This is not, I mean, it, the colors look fantastic digitally and it's very convenient, but they get that full size art and just the feel. I mean, you have this in newsprint and a, a premium newsprint. It's, it's part of the experience and it's not something you can replicate digitally. Um, and it, it's, and you can't get this, uh, at least I don't know many uh, comic stores that have this available most of this is through subscription, so it's really something worth checking out, and people should at least try a month and see, hey, is this something I'm, I'm going to be interested in continuing to And I think they will. Um, but I appreciate your time so much, Steve, for speaking with us today. Um, I wish you best luck with the project, and I'm going to keep following it. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's always, you know, you're kind of giving me the feedback that I, I, um, that all creators covet so much. And uh, the fact that you're trying to um, add your your passion to the cause is, um, is 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 a great emotional payment to me, and I appreciate it. Thank you. I do have one bonus question I have to ask you though. I was sure. I was reading that you were interested in the martial arts, and uh, in, in in the back of your trade. Have, did you ever actually practice the martial arts? I was in. Uh, Soko Ryu Karate, which is just a fancy word for Japanese karate, for for a total of about two and a half years. Okay, okay. And at some point, I started to get so obsessed with it that uh, it was taken away from my art, my getting working on time. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just typical of me, you know, to get so wrapped up in something. Um, but I had I have you know to me it was it was it was uh, kind of a 
And, you know, no one's ever asked me that, so I'm glad you asked me. I have to really think about the reason. I, I think the reason came down to an incident that happened uh, when I was I was in Pasadena. I was in my 30s, and I was there was this real scumbag that was walking around the sidewalk area, and he was causing all this trouble for people. And I thought, if I had to defend somebody, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to take this guy down. And I wouldn't know how to take him down fast. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that being so bothered me. And that's the thing that <clears throat> went that I go back to that uh, gave me the idea and the desire <clears throat> to not wrestle with a guy for five minutes and possibly get bruised or hurt. And I thought, <clears throat> well, I I've always liked this stuff. I've been always been the biggest Bruce Lee fan on the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's try it. And I was always in good physical shape, so I, I took to it. But honestly, um, you know, when people would ask me about it, I would say, well, uh, they would ask me how much how much I like going to class. And I'd say, well, I don't. I actually can't stand going. <laughs> you know, and then when I would say that to people, people would look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why would anyone want to go to something they hated? And my answer uh, was I thought it was a necessary thing for me to learn, mm-hmm. but I, I I never got any satisfaction out of, of going. I had to uproot myself from my my work uh, at, at five thirty uh, three days a week, and then go and you know get the gi on, put my contacts on, <clears throat> put my jock strap on, and, and head off you know twenty minutes to class. And that's just it was it was a pain to me. Yeah. But once you know, I consider it to be something like I don't know, going to church. You know, once you're there, it's not so bad. Right. Just getting to the door. <laughs> so once I was there, it was fine. And then, and then at some point, as I got a little better at it, um, you know, me being the seeker of knowledge that I am, I remember going up to going up against this guy we called the Spanish Bull. Or at least I called him that. He was this little Mexican guy that was this little powerhouse. He was. He was short and he was squat and he was powerful. And uh, when I first sparred against this guy, you know, there was no escape in this guy. And, of course, that bothered me. <laughs> I said I couldn't get away from this guy. He would, take, he would just, uh, you know, rope me into an area and, and be in control of the fight. And then eventually, uh, with the kind of focus I had on, on not being bad at what I do, I eventually learned to dance around this guy and take him. And he looked at me and said, good job. (laughs) And that was a great moment for me to have him acknowledge that I wasn't the amateur that I started out being. So there's a lot of little stories that, that I could tell you about karate, um, uh, that everyone can learn from, because I, I think most experiences in life when you're, Anytime you're out, you, you go out into the real world and deal with people, have a kind of a common commonality context to them that everybody can relate to. You know, when you go out and deal with the real world, you're dealing with people, and you never know what you're going to get with people. Mm-hmm. You just never know, and that's part of the fascination and uh, part of the tragedy of what people go through uh, when, you, uh, when you step outside like that. Right. No, everything you learn in the dojo applies to the outside world. And a person such as yourself with the drive and ambition is something that you need to have in order to go to a martial arts class. Because as you told people, you hated it until you got through the door. But it it was something that was a a necessary evil you had to do. And it wasn't pleasant all the time. But you had to do it. No, it wasn't. And the funniest thing was that that every time I brought this this fact that the people that I could stand going, I would never get anyone, even people that had devoted their lives to it, understanding my answer. It was always, why do you do something if you don't like it? <laughs> so apparently that concept is completely alien to 90, 98% of every human walking the earth. But I was just curious to get your impressions of it since it clearly, and I can see it in your work as well, that you have some understanding of martial arts just by some of the dialogue I see back and forth and some of the um, you know, Buddhist philosophy and meditation in the latest issue of Nexus. I kind of, I kind of see some of that worked in there. So I, I, was, I could see where you're coming from. I figured you must have had some in-depth knowledge of this and some actual experience because I can, I can just tell by the work. <laughs> it's in there. 
Well, thanks. A lot of it is, I, I think, is due to, I guess you would call osmosis from uh, my love of the Bruce Lee movies. Mm-hmm. I oh. pick up, a, you know, I'm, I'm such a visual guy. You know, I look at something and I pick up tons and tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baron loves the martial arts and uh, compared to me. Okay. Uh, so he's he's been doing it his whole life and genuinely likes going. I literally could not stand it. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for uh, the consideration of this nice interview. I, I appreciate it, and it was a lot of fun. All right, and that's my interview with Steve Rude. I did that originally back in September for Word of the Nerd as an interview for their podcast, The Comics Word. And that interview was one of my first recorded audio interviews for broadcast on a podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Root. I hope you learned some things that you didn't know before. And that's part of the objective of having this podcast is to interview writers and artists in the comic book field. And hopefully myself and you all learn something about the creator that you didn't know before. You pick up a few new tidbits of information here and there and can pass that along to your friends and sound like the smart one at the cocktail party sharing all this information. Uh, So what I have up next is another interview from the New Jersey Comic Expo. And I wanted to uh, bring someone onto the podcast you haven't maybe heard about before, or maybe you are a fan of this person's work. Uh, I spoke with Catherine Calamia for Comic Uno, and she is a comic book, TV, and movie reviewer. She has her own YouTube channel. You can find it under Comic Uno. And I have to say, right after uh, an episode of The Flash or The Green Arrow or, or one of those other superhero shows is broadcast on television, Kat has an interview up within like an hour or two on her YouTube channel, so she's really on top of things. So it's worth checking out, but this is about comic book creators and writers, and Kat is working on Like Father, Like Daughter, a series that she writes. And so I sat with Kat for a few minutes at her booth to discuss her Like Father, Like Daughter comic book and the other projects that she's working on. And so here's my interview with Kat Calamia of Comic Uno. Kat, tell us all about how you got started doing your own comic work. Wow, okay, so I'm actually a comic book YouTuber. So I'm a comic book critic, and I've been doing that since 2011, 10, so it's been a while. And I wrote a screenplay for class. I'm like, I really want to make this a comic book. So I made a YouTube video saying, hey, I'm looking for an artist. I wrote issue one already. And I was um, introduced to my publisher, Short Fuse Media Group over there. Uh, and they said, hey, uh, we loved your video. We love your concept. And we would like to make a comic book and, you know, you know, do the, the production for you. And ever since then, you know, we, we've had three issues, uh, two Kickstarters, one we fully funded ourselves, and now we're getting ready for our fourth uh, issue to get a Kickstarter in January. So you've, this will be your fourth Kickstarter? Or uh, this, we third? actually had enough money, so it's our third. Oh, we had right. enough money to self-fund issue carry three over. and carry over, so now we're doing issue four, and we're going to do a trade also, which we're very excited about, uh, which you know not a lot of indie companies do. No. Um, so it's when cool. do you think this Kickstarter is going to launch for the next issue? January. January. That's our okay. plan. So we should look for that on Kickstarter. Yes, Kickstarter coming up soon. Coming up soon. And all of this started because you had your own YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. And that got you. Uh, that got connection. me started. Got me the connection. It was just like I don't know. It was like godsend. I don't know. It was just like uh, it was weird. It's it's so awesome that it happened. I could, you know, it really changed my path in a lot of ways to you know hook up with Short Fuse Media. And do this, and I, you know, it's awesome. I'm loving the experience. But Kat, you're following the path that you started on. I mean, if you mm-hmm. go back to school, like what you, yeah. you went to school for? Yes, I went to school for communications and journalism. So yeah. uh, focusing on creative media. I actually did a documentary on female superheroes. It's on YouTube. It's called Woman Out of Refrigerators, and that was like my final project for school. Uh, so something, this is something I've been passionate about all my life. So it's so cool to kind of give back to the community and putting my own project out there. Okay. What is your YouTube channel? Is there a way you can kind of just speak? Comic Uno, actually. Comic Uno, yeah. So we just yeah. go to YouTube, mm-hmm. putting Comic Uno, and, and you'll we'll find see. me. You'll see. You'll see my pretty face. <laughs> so tell us about the other wares you have here today that are on sale. Yeah. So we have uh, issue one. Um, so this is where it all starts. Okay. We have issue two. It's more based on the high school stuff. I'll, I'll give you guys the explanation of what the story's about. Uh, and then issue three. So it's about a high school student. Father left her to become a full-time superhero, and everyone in the world loves him except for her. 
and uh, she inherits his abilities. So you got to find out what she does with them. Um, also, we have on sale the Heroes Ignited book, which is a crossover book with all these indie superheroes. So I have a little story in here too. Um, it's really cool, and you get like a free magazine with it, with all interviews, learning more about it. Uh, and that's what Short Fuse is about. It's about bringing all these uh, indie companies together, which is so cool. Okay, um, so you brought together a lot of companies. Now mm -hmm. you have your own crossover. Already. Yeah, already we have a crossover, which is huge for an indie company. Okay, and give us the pitch about the story, just kind of a yeah. So short synopsis of it. Yeah, so it's about a high school girl. Father left her to become a full-time superhero. Everyone in the world loves him except for her, and then she inherits his abilities. And our first issue, um, it's her dealing with that. It's like, what do I do with this? She kind of has heroic instincts, but that's the very reason why her father left. So what does she do? And that's the whole path, the whole journey of this first arc of, you know, figuring that out. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's nice that you've really developed the character, it sounds like. It's not just Biff Boom Bang. Oh, yeah, Sorry definitely. Sorry to say Biff Boom Bang. That's something that makes my skin crawl when yeah, I Yeah, we're it, not but Batman 66, no, no. but... Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, so. no, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that... So now you've given us enough of a taste of it, so mm -hmm. don't be intimidated. You can jump on now, follow the new Kickstarter when it comes out in January. Yes. And there'll probably be an opportunity to pick up some previous issues. Yes, yes. Packages, bundles, You can. Um, through the Kickstarter, you can pick up issues one through three, and I'm sure Heroes Ignited will be a part of that, too. Uh, but if you want to buy it before the Kickstarter and just catch up, you could uh, go to our Facebook page, like Father Like Daughter. We have a store. And also, all three issues are on Comixology. So oh, you get them digitally. Digitally as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. I like all the approaches you're taking here. Yes. Kickstarter and We're trying. YouTube. Excellent. Very good. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. I'll be watching, and we'll talk to you at a future date to find out how the campaign's going. I would love that. Thank right. you. Thank you, Kat. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> and that was my interview with Kat Calamia of Comic Uno at the New Jersey Comic Expo 2016. I did that interview uh, while I was working for Word of the Nerd, uh, working on their podcast, The Comics Word. And I already have in the works some new interviews coming up for 2017, maybe even late 2016. A little Christmas present there, but we'll see how things pan out. But I do have some other interviews already in queue for you. Meanwhile, you can visit my website, creatortalks.com. Uh, there I'll be posting updates on upcoming interviews and some show notes after the interviews uh, that I do in 2017. Also, I have video interviews on there. Uh, I have the one with Kat Calamia and uh, others from the New Jersey Comic Expo while I was working for Word of the Nerd. And there you will see some additional content. Sometimes I'll have some visuals added to the interview so you can get an idea of what the combo cover that we're speaking about looks like. So uh, please visit the site. You'll see that content plus some written content that I've done, interviews for Word of the Nerd and other media properties to get some uh, samples of my work. And you can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. Now, I lied the last episode. There is one more episode, part four of the best of 2016, that I'm going to bring to you next week. Uh, there are four weeks to Advent before Christmas, so I thought, why not? Let's do one more episode of the best of 2016 before we dive into the new episodes for 2017 that I'm working on right now. And as always, I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I appreciate you choosing and listening to this one. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.